The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Be turning your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Acts chapter 7. The book of Acts chapter 7, you can be turning your way there. I want to welcome you to New Covenant Community Church and all those joining us online as well. Uh, Very grateful, especially for some of those of you that have been joining us online and for various reasons are now finally usually for physical limitations. It's not always a geographical thing, but and you're able to join us today. I'm just so thankful that the Lord and His sovereignty has brought you here and that we get to have you in the room with us today. That is a sweet and special thing. And I hope that you are ready to be brainwashed today uh, because undoubtedly if you're like me, you need at least once a week, if not more, to take your brain out and wash it of all the garbage that we've been exposed to throughout the rest of the week. Uh, So hopefully you walk out of this place with a brain that is washed from all the nonsense and the lies and the things that you've heard and the things that you've been told, and you walk out of here certain, with a clean and fresh brain, certain that God is good that he loves you, and that this way of salvation is the greatest truth ever known to mankind. Perhaps it has happened to you before, as I know it has happened to me a couple times, that you'll be working on something either in your house or on your property, a vehicle or a lawnmower or whatever it might be, and as you are bolting things back up together, whether it's something underneath the kitchen sink or something out in the driveway, and you're tightening down a bolt, you feel that sickening feeling of it getting snug, and then it just gives. And some of you men know exactly what I'm talking about. And the bolt or the screw or whatever it is that you're tightening back down has snapped in half. And rather than going through the process of figuring out what company made this thing, you see if you can take yourself to the hardware store and see if you can get a replacement for that bolt or that screw that you just got done snapping in half. And, uh, and if you go to one of the big box stores, and we won't mention any names, it wasn't Home Depot, but you go to one of the big box stores and you go to what you think is the hardware department and, and you notice that all the employees are running away from you because they see you walking around with these two broken halves of a bolt that you need a replacement for. And, and forgive me if any of you work in those places, but you really need a different job. But anyway... <laughs> You just, but you're probably one of the rare good ones that doesn't exist. But these people run from you and, you're, and you thought, okay, well, maybe you can try by yourself to see if you can figure out where you can find the replacement of this bolt that you have broken and you're looking and, and you're just lost. And, and so you resort to standing there and just screaming, help, help. You're trying to get someone to help you with this issue. And after 30 minutes of doing this, you get tired. So you decide to drive yourself down to the local mom-and-pop store, the hardware store, the little hole-in-the-wall place that would definitely not be considered a big box store. And you walk in, and some neatly dressed person that works there comes up and says, hello, can, is there a way I can help you? And you say, well, my throat hurts a little bit from having screamed for 30 minutes, help in the big box store. Can you please help me find the replacement to this broken screw or bolt that I have in my hands? And they say, well, 
uh, how many would you like and what grade would you like them? Would you like to be a grade eight, something that's very, very strong, or do you need something that's less expensive? Is this a weight-bearing item, whatever? And you say, no, it doesn't need to be very strong. I just need a replacement, something that will work in this replacement, and I need three of them. And they say, follow me. So you follow them, and in about three seconds, they walk up, they look at the massive wall array of all these little drawers that have all these little hardware pieces. And in about three seconds, they look, and they look, they open up the drawer, they put three in a brown paper bag and hand it to you and say, how else can I help you? (laughs) And you're thinking to yourself, I'd love to kiss you right now because you've saved so much of my time and... And the reason that someone like that at the small local hardware store, the little mom and pop type of a place, the reason that they are able to help you so well is because they have been shown the ropes. Someone has taken the time to invest in this employee so that they know how to properly help the customer. They can deliver the goods and they can do it in a timely fashion. They've been shown the ropes of where these bolts are, what thread sizes, what lengths, all these things. So that when somebody walks in with this problem that they need a solution to, they can deliver the goods in a timely fashion. When When we read of this man named Stephen in the Bible, he is this kind of man that can deliver the theological goods that are needed. Last week in Acts chapter 6, we learned that there was a problem in the New Testament church. This problem was that Greek-speaking widows were being overlooked. They were being forgotten in the daily distribution of food. And the way that the apostles solved this problem was to appoint seven men over the task, seven Greek-speaking men over the task of ensuring that this group of widows in the church got taken care of. Among that group was a man by the name of Stephen. And we know that this solution had incredible results of these seven Greek-speaking men taking care of these widows, the apostles being left to ministry of the word and prayer, the results of this were incredible. The Bible says that the word of God spread, that the number of of disciples multiplied. And perhaps most incredibly, there were a great number of priests, of Old Testament Mosaic law-preaching priests that were becoming Christians. Now, the devil didn't like this. And the men through which the devil used doesn't like this either. There were then some accusations lobbed against not even the apostles, but Stephen. Being this apparently ringleader of these seven guys to take care of these widows, these table waiters. These accusations were lobbed against him as him being a blasphemer against the word, as being a blasphemer against Moses and even the temple itself, the physical structure in which they were in, saying that this Stephen guy is going around teaching that Jesus of Nazareth is going to come and destroy the temple. And they set up false witnesses against this man, this full of the Holy Spirit man named Stephen. Now what we will see today from God's effective servant This man full of the Holy Spirit named Stephen is his response to these accusations. Now this response comes in the form of a sermon, and it is a typical sermon in the way that it has an introduction, four points or four examples, illustrations that make his point, and then a conclusion. Very typical in that way, but it is unique in the way that Stephen, this guy waiting on Greek-speaking widows, Christian ladies, He so applies the truth of God's word that those who hated God's word killed him for it. And we'll see this play out as we go along. 
Uh, But first, let's humble ourselves, let us pray, and then we'll open up God's Word together. Uh, Father, we pray in this moment uh, that you would do for us what it is that you did for your followers all those years ago after you rose from the grave and there were those 40 days in which you spoke to them all the things concerning your kingdom and you opened up the word and you showed it to them so that your followers who went from these confused scattered individuals who go from denying you and not even believing in you to then become these preachers that so well connect what it says in the Old Testament and what it is that you have fulfilled in the New Testament. Father, in the same way that you opened up the Scriptures for them, we're asking for you to do for us this morning that we might see it and see it clearly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all the church says... Uh, Indeed, it was in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus did take those 40 days to turn his disciples into those big, from big box store employees into the local mom and shop people that understood what it was that they were doing. Uh, So as we go to Acts chapter 7 and look to verse 1, we pray that the Lord, as we just did, that he would open up this to us so that we can see it and we can see it clearly. Acts chapter 7 verse 1, we know that Stephen at this point in time has been brought before the Sanhedrin, which is a council, and he gives in verse 1, beginning in verse 1, the introduction to the sermon. He is standing before them, and then they say to them, verse 1, then the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child... He promised to give to him for possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage I will judge, said God. And after that they shall come out and serve me in this place. So if you're looking in your Bible there this morning, dear friend, and if you see the margin, the place of the paper that has no text, and you write in your Bible, along that section of text that we just read out of Acts chapter 7, you could write down in the margin of your Bible Genesis 12, because that's the portion of text in which Stephen, standing before the Sanhedrin, he is referencing this piece from Genesis 12 that we would call the Abrahamic Covenant. It's what seminary professors would call this thing, this promise that God made to this man named Abraham that Stephen is telling in the introduction of this sermon. He opens up with this reference 
to this Genesis 12 occurrence of God making these promises and instruction to Abraham as God says, get out of this location. I'm going to make this promise to you even though you will not partake of it yourself, God says to Abraham, even though that you have no children, I'm going to make this promise even despite the hardships that the nation of Israel will face, which we know is in Egypt that they face those things. Even despite those hardships, there's going to be this promise. And if you know your Bible well, and you know this Abrahamic type of covenant, the promises that God made, you'll know that the epicenter of that is in Genesis 12, 3, where God says to Abraham, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And this is what Stephen, what he references in the introduction of his sermon. And we know that the Sanhedrin would have been very well acquainted with this particular point of history that he's referencing. And to me, it's pretty plain what Stephen is doing is he's finding some common ground with them. They're asking him to give a defense for the things that these false witnesses that they have set up and have thrown these accusations against Stephen in. And he references this time, this thing, this element, this Abrahamic covenant that they would have been very well acquainted with. And now all of a sudden, the Sanhedrin, they don't just think he's perhaps just this crazy lunatic of a cult. Now they're on the edges of their seat. Their eyes are opening. Their ears are listening to the things that this man named Stephen has to say. He found some common ground with them, and undoubtedly they were very likely thinking to themselves of that particular point in verse 3, when God said to Abraham, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then Stephen continues on in verse 8. He transitions from his introduction into his first point with verse 8, where Stephen says, Then he, God, gave him the covenant of the circumcision. So Abraham begot Isaac. And circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot tw- the twelve patriarchs. So, that basically what he communicates there is Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, and then Jacob was the father of these twelve patriarchs, these twelve sons of his. And he uses one of those sons as, an, as his first example, the first point after his introduction, the example of Joseph. So here's Stephen preaching standing before the Sanhedrin, and he gives his introduction referencing the Abrahamic covenant. And then he uses this example of Joseph. And if you know your Bibles well, you'll remember the story of Joseph, of those sons of Jacob. Joseph was the one that the brothers became jealous of. So jealous, in fact, that they sold him into slavery into Egypt. And if you remember your Bibles well, you'll know that a lot of stuff happened when Joseph was in Egypt. He was accused of a crime he didn't commit. He wrongfully goes to prison. And then very quickly, by a working of God, he is raised to power based on the fact that it was known that God was with Joseph and that God was blessing him. And long story short, if you need to read that scripture, you'll find it in Genesis 37 through 50, that whole story of Joseph. But so that you understand what's happening here, Joseph, who was wrongly betrayed by his brothers and thrown away because they became jealous of him, He then is raised to power to sit at the right hand of Pharaoh, basically in charge of essentially the entire known world at the time. And during this very incredibly severe famine all over the world, Joseph, because of the foreknowledge God had given him, he had prepared the land, he had prepared stores, all the nations were coming to Egypt so they didn't starve to death. And you know the story. Who who comes walking in but Joseph's brothers. Joseph is now a grown man. He's basically in command, not all above Pharaoh, but he's in second command essentially of the entire world. He's all this authority, all this power that's been granted to him. 
And he sees his brothers coming to ask for food from this nation because word had gotten out that Egypt had plenty. And we know the story. He was revealed to his brothers. His great reconciliation happens. Awesome story. But let's read it out of Acts chapter 7. We're in verse 9 as Stephen references this story. And the patriarchs, these sons of Jacob, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan. And our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb of Abraham bought for the sum of money from the sons of Hamor and the father of Shechem. So this Old Testament reference here, if you're writing in the margin of your Bible there in Acts chapter 7, the reference would be Genesis 37 through 50. This portion of text that Stephen preaching, he gave his introduction referencing the Abrahamic covenant. And now he gets down to the lineage of this guy named Joseph who was wrongfully betrayed, wrongfully sold into slavery, then raised to power and became the very one that delivered his own brothers that betrayed him. And he starts making some of these connections. And just to fast forward to the end, very likely at this point in time, the Sanhedrin does not know this. They don't know the the way in which Stephen is going to be preaching these kinds of things. But we can see it clearly because we know the end of the story. But we know that he's, he's highlighting some of these things. He's highlighting in the introduction to the Abrahamic covenant that through the lineage of Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Then he references Stephen preaching there in the temple before the Sanhedrin. He then references this guy named Joseph who we know was betrayed because of jealousy, thrown away, accused of crimes he didn't commit. And then being raised to power to deliver the people. Sounds a little bit like Christ, doesn't it? So he gives his introduction, and then he uses this first example that he draws some parallels in. But very likely at this point, the Sanhedrin is still listening. His second point then goes to the example of Moses. The second illustration Stephen uses is the example of Moses. Look to verse 17 as we hear what Stephen says as he preaches. But when the time of promise drew near which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the, way, all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. 
And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and he tried to reconcile them, saying, men, men, you are brethren, why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he and his two sons, where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you into Egypt. This Moses, Stephen says to the Sanhedrin, this Moses whom they rejected, saying, who made you ruler and judge over us, is the one God sent to be ruler and deliver by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown the wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea, and in the wilderness 40 years. So over that long section of text that we just read there out of Acts chapter 7, the reference there could be Exodus 1 through 14 that describes this time that Stephen is referencing in front of the Sanhedrin. And he begins in the introduction with the Abrahamic covenant, referencing this end lineage of Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He then references this lineage down to Joseph and how there were these parallels between Joseph and Christ. And then he references Moses, how Moses was well-pleasing to God. How Moses was one of influence, yet he was walking around in a Hebrew body. Moses was learned in the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was influential. He was powerful growing up in that environment, even one of royalty. And yet he was walking around in a Hebrew body. It sounds perhaps just a little bit like Christ being God, yet walking around in a body like you and I, being the one who had the influence, yet was like us. So this Moses being well-pleasing to God sounds a little bit like Christ. This Moses being the influential one yet walking around in a body like the rest of the people that needed the deliverance he could bring also sounds a lot like Christ. And this being rejected, this being rejected, who made you ruler over, over us, Moses? This flat-out rejection that Stephen highlights before the Sanhedrin that Moses being the one God appointed as deliverer was then rejected. But the sermon goes on. We then see the example of idols. Stephen has preached the introduction. He has then preached of this reference of Joseph and now this reference of Moses. And I just wonder at what point in this that perhaps maybe some of the light bulbs started to come on of the Sanhedrin council as they were listening to this sermon of this table waiter of Stephen, this man full of the Holy Spirit who had been shown the ropes he wasn't some clueless, didn't know the connection between the Old Testament and New Testament. Either he was really paying attention as Jesus from the time that Jesus rose to life to the time that he ascended on high. Either Stephen was really paying attention at that moment or he was really paying attention to the apostles' teaching who were expounding on the things that Jesus was saying and explaining the connections that Jesus showed them as Jesus had opened up the Scriptures to them. But the third example that we see Stephen using is the example of idols. This is his third point. This is his third illustration 
that Stephen then uses in the sermon. Verse 37. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Stephen says, This is he, this is Moses who was in the congregation of the wilderness with the angel, who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us, as, as for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offering sacrifices to idols, and rejoiced in the work of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the hosts of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during those 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your God, Rimphon, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. So the reference here would be Exodus 32 to 34. So what Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin council and saying is there was not only this Abrahamic covenant, not only was there this man named Joseph that there are these parallels to Christ, not only with the man Moses himself, these parallels, this intended to be the deliverer of God's people that God's people rejected, but there's also this example of straight up idol worship where they exchanged the true thing for idol worship, even though Moses was being given the living oracles of God, Stephen says. Even though God, Moses was used as a deliverer of God's hand, as announced by the angel, the people rejected that. I wonder now if perhaps maybe the Sanhedrin council members, as they've seen perhaps the light bulbs are coming on, that Stephen is drawing these connections between Joseph and Christ and Moses and Christ and the, the sinfulness, idolatrous place of our hearts and perhaps the Pharisees themselves. So we've seen the introduction. We've seen how he uses Joseph as a reference, Moses as a reference, and the people of Israel and their idolatrous acts as a reference also. And then fourthly, the fourth example or point is the example of the temple. Uh, and it's important to know as we go along in this to remember that one of the accusations, one of the false accusations that was set up against this man named Stephen who was a waiter of widows uh, was that he was preaching that this Jesus was going to destroy the temple. We know that the Hebrew leadership, the Jewish leadership of that day, they were very keen on the temple as thinking that God was almost somehow connected to it. And listen to what Stephen says, verse 44 as he recounts some of the things that had happened with tabernacles, whether it was Moses with the children in the wilderness or whether it was the, ones that, the one that Solomon had built, the, the permanent structures. Listen to what he preaches in verse 44. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it, in turn also brought with Joshua into the land of Pizet, possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling place for God, for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. 
Heaven is my throne, God says, and the earth my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all things? You can write down in the margin of your Bible next to that portion of text, Isaiah 66, which is when God communicated that that there was instruction that God would give to make certain places where people would go to worship, but it's not as if God is contained and limited by that physical place. And it makes it very clear, this example of temples that Stephen then references, it makes it very clear that even though Moses and the children in the wilderness had this tent-like structure that Moses built on the instruction of God's word to build this thing in this particular way, even in the wilderness with that thing, they were still rebelling against God and sinning. Even when you got after the temple that Solomon, David's son, built that was huge and majestic and powerful and all the things that it ought to look and all the ways that God had given them, it wasn't as if that stopped God's people from sinning. Even when you've got a building, even when you've got a place, that still doesn't make the human heart less prone to rebel against God himself. So Stephen has preached the introduction of the Abrahamic covenant with this reference that that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through the lineage of Abraham. He's referenced in point one, this Joseph character, that there's very many similarities between what Joseph did and almost like a foreshadowing of what all the things that Christ fulfilled. As it was for Moses, this chosen of God deliverer who was rejected by the people. By this also idol worship, To show that even when God was working miraculously among the people, that there was still this nature inside of them to build a stupid gold calf and to start worshiping the thing. And then to make this final point of the temple, that even when you've got a temple, it doesn't make you any more special in God's eyes if you've got a temple. It's not like you're more... It doesn't help you. Stephen is like that hardware and store employee that knows how to deliver the goods. He was educated in the things of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Perhaps he was there present as Christ himself was teaching these things, or perhaps he heard it from the mouth of the apostles. But one way or the other, he was able to deliver the goods to make these connections. Now, a couple things to say here before we go on to his conclusion. The thing that I, would, I guess I would say is, is most preachers would stop there. Stephen made some incredible observations about Scripture, things that are true. And most preachers would stop there because it's super easy to stop there. If I, and, and I don't know for certain because it didn't happen this way, but I think that if Stephen would have stopped there, he wouldn't have been killed for the things that he was getting ready to preach in the conclusion of the sermon. He made some nice observations and perhaps the Sanhedrin members would have said to themselves, oh, that's a nice lesson in Old Testament history. Those were some things that they knew about. Those were stories that they were well acquainted with. But Stephen is not any ordinary preacher. This was not any ordinary sermon. Stephen was a man filled with the Holy Spirit, a servant of tables to where the Greek-speaking Christian widows were, And he stands up and what he does that is so special is he makes the connection between those biblical observations and the things that were going on around him. He made a connection. That's what makes this so special. Now before I read to you what it is that he preached in this conclusion of his sermon that gets him killed, 
It's important to remember what we learned in Acts chapter 6, that many priests were coming to the faith. This was not him dropping the hammer and away on all priests. Many of them were coming to the faith. It sounds as though, as we've seen the scriptural text unfold before us, it seems as though that this group of Sanhedrin council that's there, they're making these false witnesses, setting up these false witnesses against Stephen, these are the ones who are guilty of the death of Christ himself. And to know that as a result of the ministry of Stephen, many of people of this type of profession were coming to faith. But not of these men. At least not yet. Listen to his conclusion as he then so applies truth, scriptural truth, to the situation around him. Verse 51, as we see the conclusion of Stephen's sermon. He looks to the Sanhedrin and he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold of the, coming and just, of the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. So the thing that he brings the hammer down with this application, not just a nice, we all go to lunch afterwards and feel good about ourselves sermon, but an application of truth of saying, here's what the word of God says, and here's how it applies today. In that action of him preaching in that way, he made it very clear that this Abrahamic covenant that I preached in the introduction of the sermon, that, that, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through this lineage of Abraham, it was Jesus and Sanhedrin council members, you missed it. You missed this through the seed of Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That man was Jesus. He is the one that blesses all the nations and you missed him. This man named Joseph, who his brothers became, in the same way that Joseph's brothers became jealous of Joseph and threw him away and got rid of him, in the same way you've thrown away the Son of God. I think at this point there was very likely the light bulbs were coming on for the Sanhedrin members as they're seeing in this conclusion that he preaches, they're seeing all the connections that Stephen was making and it now gets to the main point, this conclusion where he drives it all home saying the same way of Joseph that his brothers threw him away, you threw away the Christ. In the same way that Joseph rose to power and became the one that people needed deliverance from, Jesus Christ has risen on high to sit at the right hand of the Father, and He is now the one that you must go to that you can find the sustenance for your souls that you need. In the same way that people rejected Moses, the one whom God appointed to be deliverer, in that same way you have rejected Christ. In the same way that those who needed help from Moses, this Egyptian raised man walking around in a Hebrew body, the one who could give them deliverance. And certainly Moses, Moses thought to himself, surely they'll know that I'm the one that can deliver them. And they missed it. Stephen looks at the Sanhedrin members and says, you've missed it in the same kind of way as we've seen in the Old Testament. In the way that there was just this flat out denial that we don't know what's happened to Moses. He's up on Mount Sinai. We're going to build ourselves this golden calf. He was communicating through these words. Stephen was communicating through these words to the Sanhedrin members that you just threw him away. You liked what you wanted to want bet more than you wanted Christ and the freedom of free gift of grace that he brought. 
and you've built for yourself this golden calf is what Stephen is communicating through this conclusion of all the Old Testament verses that he has referenced. So to, to me, the point is very clear, and hopefully you've seen the Word of God clearly this morning. In church, what I wanted to encourage us in is, is as we go about as believers, and you might say, well, Pastor Ben, I'm not a preacher, but I almost want to say, as we go about preaching, and if you were to say, well, I'm not a preacher, that's okay. You may be the person waiting on the widows. You may be the guy in this church that helps mow people's grass when they've had injuries. It doesn't matter what kind of role you've been in. Perhaps you're one of those roles. As you go about in this same Holy Spirit-filled kind of way that Stephen did, proclaiming the Word of God, make the connection. We, we have a whole bunch of preachers all over the place making nice observations out of the Word of God. Good. Now apply it. Have the boldness that this awesome example in Stephen that we have did. Make that connection. Preach the full counsel of God. Make the connection between what God's Word has said and the things that you see around us today. Make those connections. Preach them and preach them fully, dear child of God. This morning, if you're hearing me, say amen. The children of Israel would offer their babies to the false god of Molech for the purpose that they thought it would bring them an easier and blessed life. Make the connection between what those people did, the example we have in Scripture, and the unrepentant abortionist today who think that their life will be blessed because of this action. It's the same spirit. It's the worship of the same false god. Make the connection. They don't just see things differently. They're worshiping wicked, false idols at the direction of Satan himself. Preach the connection. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who we have preached, and probably pretty extensively I feel like we have preached, these three Hebrew boys who were being paid and brought up in this Babylonian world, and some perhaps even said that it was for their betterment that the children of Israel would be kept hostage this way in this foreign land of Babylon, but they were paid to be able to just go along with the process of everything. Perhaps you've heard as I have that Bill de Blasio, who is the current mayor of New York, is now bribing children ages 5 to 11 with money and tickets to local attractions if they get their COVID-19 shot. Now, I don't care where you fall with the whole COVID-19 thing. You ought to know, and I hope to God that you know that that is dead wrong that he would be usurping the authority of parents. It's up to the parent of those kinds of things, not the governor. So just it's not just some people see his political way differently. No, he's doing the exact same thing that Nebuchadnezzar did in paying these people. Bill de Blasio says that it's for the safety of the children. If it was for the safety of the children, he would quit supporting abortion. He doesn't want the safety of children. He wants their worship. Just like Nebuchadnezzar did, build the connection, saint, see the word of God, and don't just make these loosey-goosey, nice understandings and interpretation out of Scripture. Do what Stephen did, build the full connection. When the children in the wilderness, and they're waiting on Moses and Mount Sinai, and they had seen the mighty works of God opening the Red Sea to lead them to the place they were, and they, they became bored with the thing that Moses was doing to go get the living oracles of God, and they built for themselves a golden calf. Build the connection in your minds, dear friend, between that and this 
version of this critical race theory, woke Christianity that we see rampant in our world today, they've gotten bored with Jesus. And the same way that people got bored with waiting for Moses and they built for themselves a false god, and the exact same way people have gotten bored with the very person of Christ, so they've built their false religion called woke. And it's dead wrong. Build the full connection. I'm glad that we have an example in our Bibles of a man that did that. A Greek-speaking man who waited on the table of widows to preach the full connection. And make no mistake that when you do those things, people will hate you for it. We know that to be true. Look to verse 54 of Acts chapter 7. As we see the results of this kind of preaching, this kind of application of truth, that this brave hero of our faith named Stephen did. Verse 54. When the Sanhedrin, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Dear child of God this morning, being a lover of truth, being a lover of truth and an applier of the truth of God's word in this kind of way, it is not for the faint of heart. Which is why for you dear senior citizens, you dear senior saints among this fellowship of believers. Uh, it, it hurts me and it hurts me so deeply to know that the past decades for which we have experienced as a culture in America of Christianity has been one of entertainment and comfort. It's been a lie from the absolute pit of hell. Us younger people that have children, we need to understand that, that this being a lover of truth is not for the faint of heart. Listen to me and listen to me clearly. Martyrdom will not be the end of every believer, but it ought to be the end that every Christian is ready for at the drop of a hat. So we know how God used Stephen's death. We know that Stephen's martyrdom was the pebble thrown into the puddle that then rippled out and it got the church outside the walls of Jerusalem. It perhaps was the very thing that Paul remembered as, as the Holy Spirit of God was drawing Paul and that whole road to Damascus experience, which we'll be preaching shortly. Perhaps it was the face of Stephen that Paul was remembering at that very moment. There's a chance that you might not be sitting here right now unless it was for the obedience of that one man, that man named Stephen, who was making sure that the Greek-speaking widows in the church were fed. There's a chance that you're here this morning as a result of those occurrences and God's sovereignty overseeing them. So the thing that I would simply love to leave you with, as, as we see, have seen this man who loved Christ, I guess two things. One of which being to remember that there was a very good chance that Stephen was a Christian for only a matter of weeks or maybe a few months before this occurrence. 
He was so impacted by the love and mercy of God by this man named Jesus who had the ability to take his sin away from him. He was so incredibly impacted by this free gift of grace and the mercy and the love of God that he was willing to do anything to see that the word of God was preached and that it was preached properly, not just preached to the extent that everyone around him was comfortable with him. He was willing to submit himself to that because he knew and he knew full well the weight of what Christ had done for him. The other thing that I hope you didn't miss is as he sees the heavens opening up, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And I hope you know in your Bibles that most of the time it's referencing, overwhelmingly most of the time, as it references Christ at the right hand of the Father, it references him as being seated. And yet Stephen, this faithful man of God who was impacted by the gospel so deeply, and was so overwhelmingly thankful for all that Christ had done for him. As he sees the heavens open before his death, he sees the Son of God standing, ready to receive his spirit. So the encouragement that I would love to give you, dear friend, is count the cost for certain as we ought to and as we are not commonly enough instructed to in this walk of faith of being a believer, of being a lover of truth. Count the cost of it. But know that if your life were to end in the way that it did for Stephen, or if it were to end in any other way, be it COVID or cancer or a car wreck or any other kind of thing, know that for the believer, for the person who has said, I am turning from sin and I am trusting the Savior, and you've got this same Holy Spirit inside of you that was inside of Stephen, and you love God, you are loved by God, you are preserved in His righteousness, you are covered by His sacrifice for that person when death comes close and I don't have a precedence to think that Jesus does this for everyone but we know that for the example of Stephen he stood to receive his spirit and whether he stands to receive our spirits or not doesn't really matter he's there and he's ready to receive our spirits so let us not fear in death which kind of death any kind of death let us not fear when people hate us for being lovers of truth like Stephen was. We know that it's going to happen. The only question or not is whether we're going to preach the connection or whether we're, we're going to continue on in the way that it has for far too long of loose observations from Scripture that mean nothing. Dead, worthless sermons going on to ears that simply help people maybe feel better for a little while. It's worth nothing. But if we are lovers of truth together, if we are willing to see the word of God and to preach, to communicate like not the preacher, Stephen, but the, but the waiting on widows, Stephen, that to us that would seem like an unimportant role, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, to preach and communicate the full connection, people might hate you for it. So what? There's people that hate you because not every vehicle you own has less than four cylinders, okay? So, like, what are you going to do about it? But be a lover of truth. Is Christ not worth it? As Jesus hung there and bled and died for our sins, does that not compel you to preach the truth?
as the cat of nine tails was ripping the flesh of his back so that yours might be comfortable and safe this morning. Does that not compel you to be a lover of truth at all costs? Because it definitely does for me, and I certainly hope it does for you. Would you stand and bow your heads as we pray together? Father, thank you for allowing us to be introduced to this man. Father, thank you for the assurance, for the total comfort and peace that we have as your children whom you have died for to know that the physical death of this body is nothing it has been broken it has been rendered utterly powerless and Stephen that man who on earth waited on widows he is standing and rejoicing and there was no impact of his earthly death Father, forgive us for having been so earthly-minded that we see it as such a weighty and huge thing of how we die and when we die. Father, make us lovers of truth first. And for those who understand nothing of this, nothing of this great boldness and expressed love to you, Father, would you by your Holy Spirit draw them that they might know that there is a truth greater than life itself, that a loving Savior who owed a broken humanity nothing stepped down on that first Christmas morning to be born in a manger, to walk this life, to be sinless, to take our punishment, to purchase our redemption, that we might be clothed not in our sin, but in the perfect righteousness of Christ. Jesus, we love you for this. Make us bold proclaimers of it. Father, let us see the word of God like Stephen did. We love you for all these things in Jesus' name. And all the church says, let's worship together. I love you so much. Let's worship our Lord.